Thank you, sir. What a servant. Look at this. Well, good evening, friends. Good afternoon. I'm sure it's kind of like we're straddling the fence. Evening, afternoon. Uh, either way, glad to be here this evening with you. I guess I went with evening. So, um, and glad you're here worshiping our God and King in this place. And uh, excited to be digging into the scriptures with you all tonight. And, you know, if you've been around for a minute, you know that we have been in the Book of Romans for a long time. And tonight is kind of a landmark night because we are doing something different. We kind of finally finished that and we are breaking into some new territory. And uh, the way I've been thinking about it this week and the way Josh and I chatted about it as we kind of came into this Sunday was we want to think about what we're going to do for the next few weeks as kind of a summer mini-series of a kind. And it's going to be a little bit of a slightly different mode for us than what is typical. If you've been around, you know that our typical mode is to kind of go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through whole books of the Bible, kind of that expository style. But for just a couple weeks, we want to do something a little bit more topical. And the, the thing that we want to do um, with this topical study is kind of base us in Acts, the book of Acts, uh, but then kind of go after a particular question. And the question we want to go after, or the topic that we want to explore for the next couple weeks, is how did believers in Jesus in the early days of the church share their faith with those around them? What did that look like? What did that sound like? Uh, in, in the first century, right after Jesus uh, kind of departed, resurrected, ascended, left. What, what, you know, you could think about that from the angle of uh, mission. What did mission look like in the book of Acts? But particularly the way we want to frame it and kind of think about it is from the angle of evangelism. Kind of sharing the gospel with others. Uh, making Jesus known in personal ways uh, with and among other people. So, and, you know, looking at Acts and kind of seeing what we can pull out from that uh, to kind of teach us some stuff. So, that is where we're heading for the next few weeks. And that said, we are just going to drop into Acts chapter 1 today, pick up in verse 6, go through verse 11. And I get the privilege of inviting up the babers to do a little scripture reading. Are you guys both coming up or is it? No, up, oh, just Brad. Okay. I was hoping I'd get Corin too, but uh, I love you too, Brad. This is going to be good. Um, oh, I didn't set you up with a mic. Let me grab that for you. It's ready to go. Yeah, thank you. Should be. God's word. Thanks so much, Brad. Please remain standing. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, 
God, you are good, you are gracious. We have already been reminded of the gospel, of your um, steadfast love, of your forgiveness. Lord, through the prayers that we prayed, the scriptures that have been read, and the songs that we've sung. And God, we pray that 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 theme would continue as we gather around this particular passage and think about uh, the the topic that we're going to be working our way through tonight. Lord, may you be high, exalted, glorified, lifted up in this time. May we be fed, nourished, and and guided uh, by your word as your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Okay. So, friends, uh, as we consider this brief passage in the book of Acts as kind of a starting point today, as we're thinking about uh, sharing our faith, I want to note just briefly right from the top... All right, from the start here, that I had one of those moments this week that I don't know if you've ever had one of these where it's like it's a passage you've read a bunch of different times, but all of a sudden something kind of new pops out to you. Have you had one of those moments? Like it's never really occurred to you to think about something from a particular angle? I had one of those this week with this passage. Uh, And especially I think it was because I was thinking through it from this lens of um, evangelism and sharing our faith. And how this came about for me it was it was a reflection on uh, the manner in which, as we see in the text, these two uh, kind of mysterious figures who we'd, we'd probably rightly identify as angelic uh, characters kind of show up in verses 10 and 11. And it's the way in which these guys address and speak to Jesus' disciples when they kind of show up on the scene. Right? So these these two white-robed characters show up, and the disciples are looking into heaven. Uh, they're, they're amazed, and these guys show up, and they address the disciples. And so, so I'll ask the, ask the room the question, how, how is it that they address the, the disciples of Jesus in that moment? What do you see in the text? Yeah, okay. The, the slide was up. That helped a little bit. Also, you can read. So, right. So they, they address the disciples as men of Galilee. And you might think, okay, so what? Why, what you know, what's the big deal with that? Um, but if we pause and think about it for a second, what hits me uh, is that, first of all, there are, there's a number of ways, any number of ways, that, you know, if an, two angels show up and they want to address you, they could, they could call you all kinds of things, Right? They, they could identify you in any number of ways. And in this moment, they could have looked at the disciples and said, saints of the Lord. And they could have looked at the disciples and said, followers of Jesus, the, you know, the resurrected and risen and reigning king or the Messiah. They could do like something like pull from the Old Testament. We see the angel show up uh, in the Old Testament and address Gideon. And, you know, refers to, even though Gideon's kind of like hiding in a hole, the angel refers to Gideon as mighty man of valor, which there might have been just a slight note of like irony in that address. Thought even of Mary this week and how the angel Gabriel shows up and addresses Mary. And he refers to her as, as he says, greetings, O favored one. Disciples, or as the, these two angels show up on the scene, they could have said that, you know, greetings, favored ones. But in this case, as we see it in the text, it, it, was, it was none of that. It, w- it was nothing fancy. It was quite simply men of Galilee. 
Now, here's the question in my mind as I thought about that this week. The question is, what does that label, what does that title do to these guys as they hear that, as they hear themselves addressed in that fashion, men of Galilee? My answer, I don't know if you have a thought to that, to that question, but my answer to that as I thought about it this week was that that label, that title grounds them in a very concrete way, like here and now to this earth, right? It, it kind of gives them a, a physical place and grounds them to that physical place. It grounds them in a specific culture, men of Galilee, right? It's, it's giving them like a local address, and kind of saying, hey, guys who are here, men of Galilee. And as I thought about that this week, I thought about it, you know, it's almost like I was imagining, uh, you know, the, the disciples are staring up, right? They're just in awe of whatever it is that they're beholding as Jesus is ascending and is, you know, disappearing or taken from their sight by this cloud. And they're kind of gazing wistfully, perhaps, into the sky, into the heavens. And these angels just show up, just out of nowhere, like angels tend to do. And it's kind of like they're, they're, they're trying to get the, the attention, right? So it's kind of like they're like, hey, disciples, men of Galilee, pay attention, right? Wake up, gentlemen. There's work to be done. Why are you standing there look, looking, gazing into the heavens? There's work to be done. There's a task that you have been given, there's a mission. There's good news about Jesus that needs to be spread. And it's, it's, it's going to start with you guys right here, men of Galilee in this place, in this particular location. As you can see on the screen and also uh, in your bulletins, I have titled the message today, Witnesses. And the reason for that title is because along with being men of Galilee, the other big identity marker that is given to the disciples in this text, in this moment, by Jesus himself, is uh, Jesus referring to these guys as those who will be my witnesses, Jesus says, basically everywhere. You, get, you guys are going to be my witnesses in all the earth. Verse 8 is where we see this explicitly. Jesus says, but you... My disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then what? And then you will be my witnesses in all of these places. Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's a very clear statement. It's a very big statement, right? About who these guys are, their identity, their purpose, their mission, their task. And so it is then as witnesses of Jesus' life, witnesses of Jesus' death, witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, and now in this particular moment that we're reading about here, witnesses of Jesus' ascension into heaven to the right hand of the Father, that these disciples are then being called to spread the news of Jesus, the reality of who he is, the Messiah, the one who came, the Son of God, they were being called to, to, to know that, to remember that, and to spread that everywhere, to leave no stone unturned as they go about this task. And, you know, just, maybe this goes without saying, just kind of a quick aside here. Um, 
before I kind of dig in a little bit more, that, you know, there are, you know, I say that, and you might think, well, of course, you know, like, this is all very obvious. But uh, there are some, you know, uh, commentators, Bible scholars, Bible teachers, ev- you know, even whole churches uh, that both kind of historically in the past and also still today, who would look at these verses that we're reading in the book of Acts and who would uh, look at Jesus' words in a place like Matthew 28, which is, you know, Matthew 28 is the, the great commission, right? The famous, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. There, there are uh, s- people who have studied God's word who would say, after looking at all these passages, that, you know what, hey, you know, uh, these commands from Jesus to be teaching and to be preaching and to be evangelizing, to be making disciples, these were really good and really important commands like in the moment where, in which they were given, right? Th- these, these mattered uh, in the first century to the original audience, like to the, to the apostles in the first century. For us today, not so important, right? The, the work's been done, uh, and so, uh, you know, we can kind of lean back and just trust that, you know, this has already been done. There's no application, essentially, of these texts for us today. And hopefully this is kind of an obvious thing, but that's not the perspective that we have as a church as we come to these texts. As we come to these texts tonight, we come and we recognize and realize that there is ongoing relevance, ongoing significance to these, to these commands, like what we're seeing in Acts 1 tonight and what we see in Matthew 28, the, com- the Great Commission going forward in the world. And one of the reasons that we believe that as a church as we're trying to interpret the scriptures properly is because of just the bigness of this command, right? the, the, the scope of what we see being commanded here by Jesus. It implies, I would say, just because of how big this, this command is, it implies that this is not just going to be like a, a one group of guys, you know, one generation, and this is all going to be finished and done and wrapped up, and we can just all kind of relax. No, I mean, if we're going to take it seriously, where the witness is going to be to the end of the world, as we see here in Acts 1, if we're going to take it seriously, what Jesus says, Matthew 28, that there's this calling to make disciples of all nations— then that means this is an ongoing task. There is still work to be done. There was for the first century and has continued all the way through all the years, centuries, every church, every believer, there's something to be done, which brings us kind of full circle to what we're talking about and why we're talking about this tonight. Because sharing our faith in a personal way is, is part of this task. It's part of this calling, right? This mission that is going forward. I'm sorry, my little thing is kind of awkwardly sliding around on my ear. All right, sorry. Um, Hopefully that's better. All right, so this sharing of our faith is part of this, this picture, this mission. And so, am I making sense? I'm seeing some slight nods, okay. I'm also aware, you know, Josh was talking a lot about the heat. I'm suddenly feeling very, like it's hot. Which makes me think, like, you all just want to fall asleep and take a nap. Am I right? Okay, no? Okay, I'm seeing mixed responses. So I'll, I'm just going to go for it. And if you fall asleep, I, I promise not to judge you. Uh, 
Okay, so for the next few moments, where are we heading? Next few moments, this is what I want to think about. I want to think about first the where of sharing our faith, and then secondly, I want to think about the how of sharing our faith as we're seeing um, Acts 1 kind of speak to those things. But just kind of as an aside, even before I launch into that, I just want to acknowledge that talking about evangelism, talking about sharing our faith, even us being in this mode where we're kind of doing topical preaching, this is all a little different, right? And for some of us in the room, I I don't want to put anything on anyone, but for some of us, it might be kind of uncomfortable to be thinking about, oh man, I don't want anyone to challenge me to like, like be talking to people about Jesus. I don't want to, I don't want to be challenged to, to share my faith. Like that's personal, it's private. Like I just, like this is uncomfortable. And I just kind of want to name that just in case that's in the room or that's something you're, you're feeling or thinking about. Um, and, and I think I would say, you know, well, first of all, on some level, I identify with that, that, you know, talking about sharing uh, Jesus with folks can be something that's a little bit unnerving, especially if it's not something you're doing every day. And I think there are factors all around us that, that make it challenging. Like, for example, we have, we, we have a culture, we live in a culture that is not, um, not in love with the idea that, hey, I'm going to share my faith with you. I have truth, and you need this truth, right? We live in a culture that's very much like, hey, I have my truth, that's cool. You have your truth, that's cool. You don't need to try to convert me to anything. Let's just stay in our lanes here, right? That's, that's our culture. Also, uh, you know, very much our personalities uh, kind of get mixed up in this and kind of just who we are in the world and whether we're outgoing or kind of more reserved gets kind of factored in as we think about what it looks like and means to share our faith. Just other things, I mean, uh, fears that might come to the surface in terms of, what if I do this and I sound silly? Not to mention, like, this is a spiritual war that we're in, right? The spiritual factors that might be uh, kind of against us, kind of sharing Jesus. So there's lots of reasons, I'm just saying, uh, that we might be kind of a little bit uncomfortable or standoffish as we enter this conversation about sharing Jesus and evangelism. And yet, to to kind of turn the corner on all that, I want to say that as we look at the scriptures, God's word gives us all kinds of reasons to be really excited about sharing Jesus with the world. We we get to be the messengers of the greatest news ever, right? The message of Jesus, the, the king, the savior entering the world. We get to be those, we, we are invited by the king himself to do kingdom work. That's what, what sharing the gospel is about. And one of the ways I was thinking about it this week. And so that's, a, that's an exciting thing. That's a, that's a privilege. Scripture talks about in another place how we are ambassadors Paul talks about that, ambassadors for Christ, and it is an honor. Like, think about that. Isn't that an honor to be an ambassador for Jesus, a representative of him on the earth? That's a sweet privilege that we have as followers of Christ, and it's what we're being welcomed into. So, I don't know if that was helpful to anyone, but I just felt like just a little bit of a disclaimer uh, might need to be put out there, so it's out there. So back to the, the two points, uh, if we're not melted away yet. Um, and so I want to dive in first with the where, right? The where of sharing our faith. So where does witnessing happen? 
We see this in the text. I, pro- I will try not to belabor these uh, too much, but we basically see four different locations. Or uh, one of the professors that Josh and I had in seminary, not at the same time, uh, but wrote a book. He, he calls these four different horizons on uh, kind of upon which we are called to share the gospel. And so the first one that we see in the text, looking at verse eight, is kind of this kind of setting this paradigm for us for evangelism. We see. Uh, the first location where we are called to share our faith and to witness is uh, what we might call just at home. It is our home town. It is our home city. It is the place or the places where we, we, we work. The places where we uh, go to school or send our kids to school. It's the, the places where we, you know, our family is coming up and where we're just going in, in the store and buying our groceries, Right? the place where we live, where we're doing the rhythms of everyday life. For the disciples, this kind of hometown, this place, as we see it in the text, was Jerusalem, noted first off in verse 8. That was their hometown. That was their, their, their most familiar culture, where they knew the streets, right? They knew who was doing what in terms of the businesses that were around. That was kind of where they were by default, and so as we think about uh, what does it mean to witness at home, in our hometown, where we live and do life, one of the implications that was uh, popping for me this week was just to think about the call that we have as we're doing life to develop and be in relationship. The, the idea that we should be people who are having conversations with others, that we're developing trust with other human beings as we're going about our days in this world. It makes me think of uh, Jesus in another place, John 17, when he's praying for his disciples, how he prays that his disciples would be those who are in the world, though not of it, right? And that call is for us as well, right? That we would be in the world, that's important. Especially because I think, I don't know, I feel like increasingly in these, these days and times that we're living in, there are, there are these desires to become more tribalistic, desires to be more isolationist and be like, okay, I'm going to find my people, I'm going to stay in my little group with my people, and we, we're just going to hunker down, right? We're going to bunker, and everything's going to be fine, and we're just going to hold ourselves out until Jesus comes back, right? Do you see that in the world? Do you feel that? Yeah, I think it's out there. And so the call here is to, to not just be hunkered and bunkered, right? But to be in the world, to be, you know, going to the coffee shops or doing the swim classes or uh, the book clubs or the library dates or whatever the things are. Community service, those things. Be in the world. Love your neighbors. Don't just like, you know, I mean, I'm speaking to myself, right? Don't just go in the garage, shut the door, you know, like, eh, okay, bye, you know. It's so easy, so tempting, right? Especially, I, I'm, I'm kind of on that introvert scale sometimes, you know, so you just want to hide. But the call is to be in relationship, all right? Okay, I'll, I'll move on. So secondly here, not, not only uh, are, is there the call to share Jesus in our hometowns, our home cities, also we see that there's a calling here to share Jesus, to be witnesses in our home country, our nation as well. For us, of course, the good old U.S. of A. Okay? 
For the disciples, as we see it in the text, again in verse 8, the second place noted here is all of Judea. All of Judea. And this too then, as we're seeing in the text, is the place where Jesus is calling his disciples to, to witness. And we're, we're, when we can note here is that the circle is expanding. We started with the city of Jerusalem, now we're talking about all of Judea, which is, you know, essentially a huge region. It's, it's like a country. And so, one of the things that this sets in my mind and makes me think about is the importance, as we think about sharing faith and witness, is that we need to be in relationship as Christians with other Christians, because the task is really big, and we can't do it alone, right? We can't do it all by ourselves. I can't reach a nation. I can't reach America all by myself. I mean, maybe if I somehow became a really cool, like, social media star, like Caleb Fleming, I could somehow reach, uh, you know, everyone with the gospel in the whole nation, but I'm not. So, it's, to me, this underscores the need to, uh, you know, first of all, just be a part of a church, be a part of a church, even to have, be a part of a church that's a part of a denomination, as weird and wonky as denominations can be at times, right? But churches and denominations have, have this wider reach that reach to other people and to other corners where I, as an individual, can't be and I can't go. I think of our denomination and how, uh, you know, our little uh, local region includes churches in Hawaii and Utah, Right? So like when we, Josh and I go to a presbytery meeting, uh, you know, four times a year, we're meeting with guys from other states. We're hearing about what the gospel, what, you know, what's going on with the gospel in, in these churches in other states, which is, is neat, right? It kind of pulls you out of your bubble a little bit. and makes you think, okay, like what, what's going on in my little neighborhood is not the end all be all of the story of the gospel, right? There's something good about that. I know we're finite, you know, we can't be pulled endlessly to every, every corner of the world. But there's something neat about thinking about our country and how are we connected to, in the gospel. So care about, care about the country, right? Care about the states. Thirdly, to keep moving, uh, not only our hometown is there a calling, our home country is there a calling, but also um, this one's a little, bit, a little bit different, but really important and really challenging there's a call to witness to those uh, who seem foreign to us. A call to share the gospel with those who seem strange or different, those who we might consider to be the other, right? Those even who might seem on some level, you know, if we were being fully honest, to be inferior uh, to us, even though that feels hard to say. For the disciples, this was Samaria. Right. Uh, Samaria was a place we know as we look at uh, the story, especially in the Gospels, that you know Jewish culture and Jewish custom viewed Samaritans as uh, kind of those who we wanted to avoid at all costs. Right? They they were lesser. They were other. They were kind of half half breeds in some way. They're, essentially, there was racism going on when it came to the Samaritans, and. Therefore, what does Jesus do when he shows up? Does he, does he kind of just kind of fall in line and, and walk in that pattern? Not at all, right? We see Jesus uh, very openly, like in places, uh, I think of John chapter four. You know, uh, Samaria is a place where like everyone else would, you know, a good, faithful, uh, you know, 
Jew of the time who was like fully embedded in the, in the cultural customs would say, hey, I'm going to avoid and go around Samaria. I'm not going to go through it. Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to Samaria. I need to. And he goes straight there, and he has this amazing conversation with the woman at the well, right? She's the Samaritan woman. And not only does he have this amazing redemptive conversation with this woman, she then goes and tells her, all of her neighbors and all of her friends, and suddenly, like, there's this gospel revival happening in Samaria because Jesus went in, and he didn't avoid the person that everyone else was avoiding, right? Think of the parable Jesus, you know, gives the parable of, of the good Samaritan, and that was scandalous and shocking that, oh, the Samaritan was the hero of the parable, right? And so what we're getting at here is, is uh, that we are called as Christians to go to the places that might feel easier to avoid, the places that we want to avoid. But in the kingdom of God, there are no throwaway places, there are no throwaway people. So we could ask the question and continue down the road of being uncomfortable and say, who are the Samaritans for us, right? Who, who would be those people that we kind of want to avoid if we're being honest? People who are different than us. I, I thought of some concrete examples. I don't know how many it would be profitable to, to name here, but just one, one light one maybe would just be uh, you know, we're, we're trying to make efforts to be, um, you know, intergenerational, right? In, in a lot of, even in churches, like, it's very easy to be just age and stage, and like, we're going to have the older people do their thing, we're going to have the younger people do their thing, and we're not going to cross-pollinate, right? We're, we're not going to mix, because this is uncomfortable. But, but the gospel calls us to be uncomfortable for our good, right? And for the sake of the kingdom, think of socioeconomic factors. It's, it's uncomfortable to be around the poor. First, you know, if, if you are not the poor yourself and you don't see yourself that way and you see someone who's needy or beggy, begging, that's not comfortable. We want to just kind of avoid that. Confession, I want to avoid that, right? The gospel doesn't let us do that. You can multiply examples thinking about political affiliations and uh, movements that are big in our day, you know, people who are all into the LGBTQ plus uh, community and like that is their gospel, like that is their main thing. Like we just want to say, uh, I just want to avoid that whole thing. I'm going to, you know, maybe, the, I don't know. I don't want to make assumptions. But whatever it is, God's word in the gospel calls us not to be afraid of people who need Jesus, Right? Not, not to turn and run, but to move towards in love. Right? Because God in Christ has moved towards us in love and made us his own. So we go ahead, we turn around, and we do likewise. Finally, fourthly, our calling to witness and to share Christ. If you're still awake, you're still awake? There's nods, Okay call to witness, share Christ, not only hometowns, home country, those who are foreign and different to us, but also think of uh, those who are in the furthest corners, those who are very far away. See this in verse 8 again, to the end of the earth is the language that Jesus uses. It's the calling he gives. It's that fourth and final circle, that fourth horizon. And for, you know, the disciples in Jesus' day, it's, uh, you know, 
we just finished this series in the book of Romans, and one, at one point, Josh was reflect, reflecting on how, for, for Paul in his day, Spain was like the ends of the earth, right? And that was Paul's ambition, was to go to Spain. For us, I mean, I don't know how many of us think of Spain as the ends of the earth. But because the gospel has gone there and back again and all around, there, there are continually new ends of the earth, right, to go to and to explore even places where the gospel needs to be revived and revitalized, where it seems to have kind of sunken into uh, deadness and coldness. For us, this call might mean picking up and going ourselves as a missionary to the ends of the earth, to some far country. Or it might mean just supporting and praying for and sending someone else, partnering with someone else who is already going or who has already gone. To me, this circles back around to the point from earlier about how good it is to be connected to a church. I mean, I I think about all of the people that that I'm connected with, all the people that you guys are connected with just by being a part of this church. Like, super sweet. Like, think about the ends of the earth. Like, we we know people and have friends in Japan, the Sink family, doing missions in Japan. The ends of the earth there. We have friends in Rwanda, the Rutagangwas, I wouldn't know them if it weren't for being a part of this church. Friends in Indonesia, the Driscolls doing mission in Indonesia. Think of uh, Josh's family in Peru, the Hansons, Nepal, this new, this new ministry that we're partnering with, the New Leaf House. Like, like I would have never had, had the scope to be connected to all of those myself. And I bet you probably wouldn't either. But because you're connected to a local body, a church, like in this really cool way, we are supporting mission Evangelism, go into all these places. And I feel like my hands are flying all around. Like a, I don't know, a Muppet? It's a good thing. Not me being a Muppet, but the gospel going forward is a good thing. And, this is, and, and in this, this is how we begin to see how witness happens, right? How, how, how sharing happens. It happens through relationship. It happens through financial giving. Uh, witness and sharing the gospel happens as we are using our gifts and as we're connecting and, and getting to know people. But underneath it all, surrounding it all, the ultimate how it happens is the movement, the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit of God in all these places, in all of these ways, connecting the dots, opening hearts, making life where there was deadness, bringing light where there was darkness. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And if if it's not Holy Spirit work happening as we're trying to share the gospel, it's bust, right? There is no hope. But in him, anything is possible. We see in our text, again, verse eight, the very beginning of it was where the Holy Spirit was mentioned. To read it one more time, but you will receive power, Jesus says, This is Jesus talking, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We say, what is this power? I like power. That sounds cool. I want to receive power. It's the power to witness, right? It's the power to make Jesus known. It's the power to testify before kings and governors and people, you know, anyone, right? People we'd normally be quaking in our boots in front of, right? I think that's the power, that the Holy Spirit is giving. 
in this moment and that what Jesus is talking about and what he's promising. And that's what we see happening in the whole book of Acts. It's, It's this story again and again of the Holy Spirit moving, the Holy Spirit working and lives being changed, the kingdom growing, the church expanding because the Spirit is at work. Amen? Amen. So our witness needs to be girded up, driven by the Holy Spirit of God. So where are we today being called by Jesus to share our faith and to witness? Answer is everywhere, everywhere. Home, hometown, Chico, right? Paradise, Magalia, Butte County, these places, our nation at large, America, called to be a witness, called to go to these places that seem foreign and unknown and scary and even to the ends of the earth. How does this witness happen? All kinds of ways, but ultimately the spirit of God. I hear you. I'm with you. And because of that, yeah, we're, we're... I think I'm just about to the end. I think my final thought here is just how good it is, you know, going back to where I started, that the angels show up and they say, men of Galilee, right? Again, this image, the disciples are looking up into heaven and they, they're just, you know, you've heard, I've heard the saying before, I don't know if you've heard it, you know, there's such a thing as being so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Have you heard that? I think it's, it's a good saying. I think it's possible to be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good because you're just looking at, at the sky and you're like waiting for Jesus to come back. You're like, okay, Jesus, anytime, right? Because you're, you're, you're bunkered and you're hunkered. So it's so good that the angel came and said, men of Galilee, right? And it's so good when, when a sermon or when God's word or someone you're doing discipleship in life with says, hey, believer in Jesus in Chico, California, believer in Jesus in paradise or wherever you are, why are you standing there looking up into heaven? There's stuff to do. There's cool, awesome, amazing opportunities for the gospel to go forward. Let's do it. Let's get to work, right? Prayerfully let the Spirit lead us and guide us in these ways. Excited to see uh, where this series goes in the next couple weeks. I know I need my heart to continue to be warmed to this theme. Um, and I'm excited to see what Josh brings us next week. So let me pray for us, and uh, we'll continue uh, by worshiping at the table. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, you are good. Lord, thank you that you faithfully, consistently, persistently come to this earth, are growing your kingdom, are building your church. God, thank you that we get to be a part of that. We have that joy. We have that privilege. God, refresh us in this opportunity even as we go to partake of the table and these gifts of your grace. In Jesus' name I ask, amen.